And what's going on, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. As always, you can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. And you can follow our social pages on Twitter and on Facebook for the latest updates. Great to be back with you folks this week. Uh, a lot to get to. Plenty of uh, plenty of things to get to from the uh, exciting Patriots win uh, yesterday. Uh, plenty of Celtics, plenty of Bruins, um, a lot of uh, kind of other things going on as well. Um, you know, pretty big uh, soccer tournament going on right now. So, you know, we'll give you kind of latest updates with that. But uh, before we go any further, you know, would just like to say thanks to John Veneziano coming on a guest Friday last week, talking a little uh, World Cup. If you haven't uh, listened to that, uh, you can go ahead and listen to that. We kind of did a preview of you know, U.S. men's national team talked about, you know, other teams and other players in the tournament as well. So you can check that out on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify right now. Uh, Guest Friday, looking forward to it this week. Uh, Sean Montgomery is uh, returning to the podcast to talk Bruins. So uh, looking forward to that later this week. I'll be uh, posting Guest Friday on Friday. So, you know, once you're uh, done with Thanksgiving dinner, you can, you know, listen to the podcast the day after when you're eating those leftovers. So uh, without further ado, I think we're going to get into it. Uh, Patriots, Jets is where we're starting today. I mean, <laughs> you could not make up a better ending for that game last uh, that game yesterday. Uh, Marcus Jones, you know, clearly making the uh, play of the game. You know, one of the one of the plays of the season, I would say, I think might actually be the play of the season. Um, you know, Jets line up to punt 16 seconds left, 16, 17 seconds left. And, you know, Marcus Jones does what, what he did best at the University of Houston, uh, you know, running back a punt for a touchdown. I believe he returned six kicks for touchdowns at the University of Houston. I think kicks and punts, you know, clearly the, his first punt return touchdown of his career. I believe it was the first uh, punt return touchdown in the NFL this season. So, you know, pretty opportune time for that, uh, for that return, you know, winning the game for the Patriots and, you know, keeping them in the thick of the AFC playoff chase, you know, a huge win. Um, I think just considering the way that that game went, that it was like, okay, who's the first team that's going to make the critical mistake? And, you know, the Jets made the mistake of punting it to Marcus Jones and, you know, credit to Marcus, he made a great play, you know, lined up a couple blocks and, you know, kind of did the rest. It was pretty amazing. He had left the game previously with an ankle injury, came back and, you know, clearly was fine at returning a punt for 84 yards to the house. So just a pretty amazing way to finish that game and, you know, give the Patriots fans something to feel, you know, really excited about, you know, one of the most one of the most, if not the most exciting play in football, you know, a kick return. So, you know, just a tremendous victory for this team. And I think a win at a really critical time, you know, I think a game that they really needed to have in the standings, you know, if they were going to stay in the chase for being a playoff team or even being a team that might even have an outside chance to be competitive in the division um, with this win. So, 
you know, this win gives the Patriots a tiebreaker over the Jets, which, you know, could end up being huge as we get closer to kind of like playoff seeding. Although I guess personally, I'm going to be surprised if the Jets are, you know, going to stay alive in the playoff chase for much longer. I mean, I don't know how you can expect to with Zach Wilson playing, you know, a pretty terrible game yesterday. Um, I gotta be honest, like I was expecting him to be a little bit better than he was, um, and he was way worse than the first game, which I didn't think that that was possible if you look at the three interceptions that he threw two weeks earlier, but I think he was just as bad, if not worse, yesterday, um, and the Patriots defense did a tremendous job, we'll talk more about that in a moment, but I think just from a purely standings point of view, this was a huge win, and this was a game that you really needed against a division opponent. And, you know, I think a win that you needed going into the toughest stretch of the season, where you have seven games, some against playoff teams, some against teams that are very talented. So getting a win like that is just so huge for confidence that this team can be 6-4, and four, go into a short week against a really good Minnesota team, but already be feeling good. You know, it would be a huge difference if they lost that game yesterday and, you know, have to go into a short week after a loss. Um, you know, it's going to be a tough week for them. We'll talk about the Vikings in a little bit, but I think just getting a win um, and getting a win in the way that they did, you know, makes you both think that, okay, Maybe this team can find ways to win games. You know, they find a way to win games even when they don't play their best. And yes, I do think that there are, it's fair that there were some concerns on offense yesterday. Um, and I think that that's legitimate. You know, I think that that type, of, that type of inconsistency can't happen if they're going to be a playoff team. And I think... You know, the defense did play great yesterday, but I do think that, look, you can't beat many teams if you're scoring three points on offense, and that's just that's just kind of the end of the day. So I think just kind of getting into how they did offensively, you know, clearly they could not run the ball with really any consistency, although this was interesting. So I looked at looked at the box score this morning of, you know, looking at kind of rushing yards, and you look at, Stevenson, who really got bottled up yesterday, 15 carries for 26 yards. But you look at Damian Harris, he carried the ball eight times, had 65 yards, you know, an average of eight yards a carry. So, you know, I'm not thinking that it's as simple as, oh, they need to play one guy more than the other. But I did think that it was interesting because I really thought that you look at the way that they ran the ball with Stevenson, they really had no success. But then it's like, you look at Harris, he had a 30-yard run in the third quarter. He, like, ran the ball pretty effectively. Um, so I guess, you know, ran the ball effectively, did have a couple of receptions. Um, so it seemed like he was productive. Um, but I think that looking at Mac Jones and looking at the game that he played, I didn't think he was all that bad. You know, clearly didn't make any huge mistakes you know, I think there were some throws that he missed, um, but I did think that he was fairly accurate. You know, look at the 
his completion percentage, you know, 23 for 27, you know, that's pretty respectable. 246 yards, you know, a 9, 9.1, uh, like completion average. Um, but again, was sacked six times. And, you know, I think that part of the issues yesterday were the offensive line, you know, and clearly the team lost David Andrews during the game, you know, which is really just not ideal as he had come back after missing, you know, two the last two games. Um, and it really looked like, okay, you know, they get him back, they can get some continuity, they can get the communication to be a little bit better. And, you know, he gets hurt in the second quarter, leaves the game. And, you know, I think that the early returns on that don't look good. You know, that he could miss a good chunk of time. You know, Isaiah Wynn left the game with an injury as well. Trent Brown, I guess, was dealing with an illness all week. So clearly he wasn't himself, and you could see he wasn't, you know, with the way that he got pushed around. And so I think, you know, the line clearly had a lot of big, big problems. And I think they're not going to be able to be successful as an offense if the line can't be more consistent, if they can't keep Mac Jones upright more if they can't you know block for the run the, the the ball carriers you know i think if you look at them purely from a passing perspective they didn't do anything crazy explosive but i did think that you saw some improvements with mac jones you saw him trying to get the ball out a little quickly you know you saw them trying to run a little bit more play action you saw a couple plays where they lined up johnny smith in the backfield you know, did a play-action fake and hit him running down the sideline. They did a similar thing with Hunter Henry as well. I think that was the one reception that he had. You know, Johnny Smith, I think, has gotten a little bit more involved in the last couple of games. Um, You know, I think that the weather could have affected the receivers a little bit. You know, it could have been a game plan thing that the Patriots were not looking to get the ball down the field because clearly, you know, you could see on some of the throws that the wind did affect it. I'm not trying to say that, oh, they didn't throw the football, because they did. I mean, they clearly were thinking that they would throw the football, but I guess, you know, you looked at how well Mac was able to move the ball all over the field. You would have liked that they, you know, passed the ball a little bit more because they were pretty good at it yesterday. Um, you know, I guess I'm not really sure what the plan was in, maybe it was the third and fourth quarter that, you know, they kept running the ball. You know, there was one sequence where I think that they had moved the ball and gotten the first down. They run three running plays in a row, and they get five yards, and they punt. And so it's like, okay, you know, you want to try to stick with what's working. Um, and I think this is probably the first game that I'm probably going to be pretty critical of the game plan. You know, and usually I'm not. Usually I'm pretty you know, level-headed, but I just think that you should have passed the ball more yesterday um, because you had a quarterback that honestly was in was in a good rhythm, you know, four incompletions the entire game. You know, yes, he was sacked six times. Yes, there were a couple plays where he probably held on to the ball too long, but it's like he did a pretty good job spread the ball around, you know. Obviously, there were a bunch of players that had one or two receptions, but you know, he had completions to nine different receivers. So, you know, I think 
yeah, I think me, I question the game plan a little bit that, okay, you know, you do what's successful at the end of the day. And I think that that really wasn't what they were doing on offense. And I think, you know, clearly you could see the line was having a hard time blocking for the running backs. You know, there were a lot of plays where they got tackled for a loss or tackled at the line of scrimmage, you know, and I do think that, okay, on one hand, if the line is struggling to, if the line is struggling to block for the running backs, you don't run the ball. But then on the other hand, the line did have issues protecting Mac Jones. So you're kind of at a point where, okay, what do you do? You know, do you run more passing plays, run more risk of your quarterback getting hit, you know, or do you run the ball and risk losing yards? And I think that they kind of tried to choose the lesser of two evils. You know, clearly the defense was able to step up and they played probably their best defensive game all season. Um, But I think that they should consider themselves pretty lucky that the defense stepped up as much as they did. Um, You know, Judon and the defensive line have been really, really good. You know, Dietrich Wise had a really strong game. Um, I thought Mac Wilson was good. I thought that... um, I feel like Uche had a decent game where he, like, don't think he got any sacks, don't think he had any tackles, but I do think that the defensive line did a great job kind of pressuring Wilson, you know, forcing him into some bad throws. Um, But I think, you know, this is definitely a really, really good defense, and I think they are definitely showing out now. This is a Jets team that I think doesn't have a whole lot of talent on offense. You know, I think you look at you look at Garrett Wilson, you look at Elijah Moore, but to be perfectly honest, there's no one on that team that strikes fear into you the way that, you know, the next team you're going to play is going to with, you know, the playmakers that they have at different positions, but just the way that they were able to hold the Jets to just nothing on offense was pretty impressive. Um, And I just think that they did a great job, you know, keeping the game close. And then, you know, special teams made a difference yesterday. Uh, I thought it was excellent to see that, you know, they get Michael Polardi, the punter on the uh, practice squad, came in for Jake Bailey and played really well, I thought. You know, and then clearly, I think on special teams, they were solid on a couple of kick and punt returns on, like, the defensive side, and they clearly, you know, the game-winning punt return touchdown. So I did think that, again, this was a defense and special teams win ugly type of game which yeah is going to frustrate some people that they're not scoring more points but it's like look this is a win or loss league and I just think that you find ways to win you find ways to win and if you're not getting style points who cares you know it's the NFL this isn't college football you know if you're winning games you're winning games it doesn't matter how it looks and the Patriots are the sixth seed in the AFC right now, so clearly they're doing something right if they've won five out of six. So, you know, yeah, you can say all you want that, oh, it's boring, they're not, you know, doing anything, they're not exciting, but it's like, well, I don't know, I'd rather have a team winning five out of six and be boring than a team lose five out of six and, you know, score 30 points a game. I don't know, I'd rather win games, and maybe that's a shock to some people, but... 
you know, you're probably listening to the wrong podcast. <laughs> if you want to sit here and hear me complain, you're probably listening to the, uh, the wrong podcast. So, um, but I think that, yes, there were some things that I think concerned a lot of us with the game, but it's like, hey, they came out with the win, and I think that that's what matters. So um, kind of looking at some other some other issues that crept up, you know, clearly David Andrews, Isaiah Wynn left the game with injuries yesterday. Uh, Christian Barmore earlier in the week was put on injured reserve, so he's automatically missing the next four games, which, you know, is tough because I think there were a lot of people, including myself, that kind of saw big things for him this year, but he's had a hard time staying healthy. So, you know, not out for the season. You know, I think it's out for the next four games or three games because he missed yesterday's game. But I think with the way their defense is playing, they're not really missing him. Although if he was healthy and playing, it probably would give them another added element. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if he returns you know, at some point in December toward the end of the year and kind of give their defense a boost if they need it. So um, Jake Bailey also put on injured reserve, so he'll miss the next couple of games. Um, but I thought Michael Polardi was actually pretty solid yesterday. Uh, Patriots, there was one punt where I think they downed at the five-yard line, so I thought they did a decent job, or he did a decent job, I think, placing punts. Um, I think it was Nick Folk doing most of the kickoffs yesterday. So, you know, we'll kind of see what happens, but I don't think you're going to have much issue with the wind next week as the Patriots are playing in Minnesota in a dome. So probably won't have many issues there, um, but they might have issues with the Minnesota Vikings who, despite getting absolutely embarrassed by the Cowboys yesterday, uh, will host the Patriots next week on Thanksgiving night, which... You know, is still hard for me to get used to that. You know, we have to watch the Patriots on Thanksgiving night. I think when they've played in the past, they've almost exclusively played um, in the afternoon. Although now that I'm saying it, I do remember the uh, night game that they played against the Jets a number of years ago, the, the butt fumble game, the infamous butt fumble game. Uh, so looking at the Minnesota Vikings, you know, clearly have a lot of talent. On the offensive side of the ball, Dalvin Cook um, has had a pretty good season so far. 800 yards and six touchdowns on the ground. Uh, Justin Jefferson obviously is supremely talented. I think one of the most talented receivers in the league. Adam Thielen is, you know, also a solid receiver as well. So, you know, they got some pieces. Kirk Cousins, I think, has had a pretty good season. Um, but I do think that the Patriots can potentially take advantage of a Vikings defense that's honestly not been very good this season. They're allowing uh, 400 yards. They're allowing 400 yards per game on offense, 284.4 yards per game through the air. So I think if there's a possibility that the Patriots could air it out, I think it's this game. Because I think this is a team, Minnesota, they struggle against the pass. They do have some playmakers in the secondary. You know, Patrick Peterson's still capable of making some plays. Harrison Smith is still a solid player. Um, but this is a team that I think their record, I don't think they're as good as their record says they are. Um, you know, clearly getting blown out by uh, the Cowboys 
uh, yesterday, but they've not really played a lot of a lot of really good teams. I mean, clearly they beat the Bills last week, which was a solid win, but I don't think looking at their schedule that they're necessarily a a team that's unbeatable, you know, because I think you know you're looking at their defense, you know. They're a team that's going to allow a lot of passing yards, and so I think there is a possibility the Patriots, you know, throw the ball a little bit more, and weather's not going to be an issue in this game as they're indoors. So, you know, it's going to be a tough game because we know historically the Patriots, you know, since, since you know, the post-Brady era, they've not done great um, in these national TV games. They've kind of had a really tough time getting up for these games and I think it's going to be you know doubly difficult because it's on a short week you know it's on Thanksgiving and you know I think that it's easy to have your mind elsewhere but I think we got to have some faith in the coaching staff that they can be able to get these guys ready to go and ready to play um, on Thursday night and look Minnesota's on a short week as well you know and I think on short weeks you know, things can happen, breakdowns can happen, but, you know, this is a Minnesota team that I think is already reeling with the way that they've played defense and the way that they played defense yesterday. Um, but yeah, you know, it is possible that you have Minnesota come out and be pissed off with the way that they played yesterday and just come out firing. But I think this is a Patriots team that's going to be motivated to prove that you know, six and four is, is not a fluke that they can compete and they can win against a quality team. Um, you know, I think I expect the same amount of pressure from the Patriots front seven, but I think the difference in this game is how do the Patriots defend Justin Jefferson? How do they defend Theo and how do they defend TJ Hawkinson? You know, I think with Kyle Duggar healthy, it's going to make a huge difference especially against Hawkinson. But I do think that, you know, Jalen Jones, Jalen, uh, Jalen Mills and Jonathan Jones, this is a huge prove-it game for the two of them. Um, I think they've been pretty solid and pretty good this year. But I think going up against an elite player like Jefferson gives them an opportunity that, okay, you know, here's a guy that's, you know, an all-pro talent, you know, from a competitive standpoint. You know, get up for that and be able to want to be you want to be able to make some plays against this guy. So, um, the Vikings open as three point favorites, which I'm kind of surprised by. I'm kind of surprised it's not more. But you know, Thanksgiving night, eight twenty on NBC. So, you know, if you're not too tired, you know, you can get yourself pumped up for Patriots Vikings. I have to say. I think that these Thanksgiving games this year are going to be very entertaining. Um, you got Buffalo and you got Detroit, two teams that can score a lot of points. Then you got the Giants and the Cowboys, two teams in the NFC East. I think that's going to make for a really good game. And I think Patriots Vikings will be a pretty good game. Now, I think I don't expect the Patriots to win this game, but I wouldn't be surprised if they're able to claw this one out you know, and win in a close game. Um, and I'm not saying that Mac Jones is going to light the world on fire, but, you know, if there ever was a game to get him back on track and play really, really well, it's probably this game. 
because I do think that short weeks tend to favor the offenses because the defenses are, you know, more tired and beat up. And, you know, this is a Vikings defense that just gave up 40 points yesterday. So I don't think it's crazy to think the Patriots could have a pretty good um, offensive performance in this game. So we'll look forward to it. But, uh, yeah, Patriots on Thanksgiving. Get used to that. <laughs> so I think now we're going to move on, talk a little bit about uh, your Boston Bruins who continue to just uh, light the NHL world on fire uh, with their performance and how well they've played, um, you know, 16-2 and two with uh, two wins this past week. They were actually a little bit quiet this week as they just had two games uh, Thursday night against the Flyers and then Saturday night against the Blackhawks. Bruins won both of those games by uh, combined scores of 10-2, to 4-1 to one against Philadelphia. David Krejci with a pair of goals in the third period to put the game away. And then the Bruins just uh, ran the Blackhawks out of the building with a 6-1 to one win in their reverse retros that are just, oh, they're just so beautiful to see on the ice. So uh, Bruins get the win and have won six in a row. Their last loss was a 2-1 to loss in Toronto, so things have gone pretty well for the black and gold. Uh, they continue to go well, and I think that, I think I talked, I've probably talked about this a million times in the podcast in the beginning part of the season, but the Bruins continue to pack points, which I think is just so huge early on in the season, because undoubtedly as you continue to go further into the schedule, you are going to run into roadblocks and you are going to run into stretches where you don't play well you're going to run into stretches where you lose some games in a row you know hopefully you can get points in some games but you're going to lose some games and so I think being able to say okay we have this is going to be absolutely insane to say but the Bruins have you know have packed 32 of a possible 36 points that's not a misprint you know that's legitimately how well they've played that they've only lost two games so far that they have 32 points on the board they could you know 32 of possible 36 you can't get much better than that so i just think that it's important that they've continued to play this way and look they are coming into probably their toughest stretch of the season to this point as they're playing a stretch of i think nine games two of them against vegas two of them against colorado two of them against tampa bay Carolina and Florida those are eight of the next nine games that the Bruins are playing so you know you got to bring your a game but I don't think that if the Bruins don't do as well during this stretch it's a sign of oh they're peaking too early and whatever nonsense people on the radio want to tell you um but I think if they do lose some games you know no big deal because you have so many points already and I think Yes, you want to do well against the quality opponents. But it's just important to know that, okay, they have played so well early on that, you know, they didn't. They don't have to go into this stretch feeling, oh my God, we have to win four or five of these games, that we desperately need to win these games. You know, I think in a different world, if the Bruins opened up and, you know, they're 16-2, and two, let's say they, you know, opened the season 10-8, and eight, you know, 9-7-1, and one, something like that. 
it's probably going to change how you look at these next nine games. You know, last season, you might look at this and be like, oh my God, you know, they're out of the playoff structure. They have to win some games. But now it's like, you have so many points. You know, I'm not trying to say that they shouldn't try to win because the goal is to go out and try to win every single game. But I do think that, okay, it's not the worst thing in the world if they don't play their best. We do obviously want them to play their best, and I think play their best against the best opponents. But, you know, if these nine games, if they win four of these, five of these, I don't think I'm going to be terribly disappointed. Um, but I think clearly you want to do well against the division opponents. You know, and look at this. You got two of them this week, and then you got, you know, Tampa Bay next week. So I guess I'm not terribly concerned if they don't do as well against the Western Conference teams. Um, but I think you do want to do well against these first four. Two against Tampa Bay, one against Florida, one against Carolina. You want to do well in these games. So I think the biggest thing that stood out for me, I think, in the last couple of games is how well that fourth line is playing. That it's been a combination of Nosek Felino and A.J. Greer. Um, I think Craig Smith has played a game or two in there. Um, but the three of them, Rear, Felino, and Nosek, have been really good the last two games. I think that they combined for, I think that they were on the ice for a big goal against Philadelphia. Um, I forget. I think it was that play where Lindholm takes it into the zone. Felino makes the pass, and then Greer set up Nosek, who was coming in front of the net. Um, but either way, you know, it was a big goal for Nosek two goals in as many games as he had scored last Sunday against Vancouver and then obviously scored Thursday um, and then had an assist in Chicago and um, I think AJ Greer had scored in this game um, against against Chicago I believe if I take a look or no he had an assist on Krejci's goal that's what I remember so Krejci had scored in the third period um, after Greer had set him up, uh, Felino also had an assist in the third period. So I think the three of them, Nosek, Greer, and Felino, are giving you a fourth-line combination that guys that are going to skate hard are going to play hard and you know capitalize on their chances. And I think that that was kind of the biggest complaint with Nosek and Felino last year is that they couldn't finish. Um, and I think, look, you don't need these guys to be scoring points every single game. But it's like when they get chances, you want them to capitalize. You want players to be able to be making an impact. And Felino, you know, you look at him, he was second on the team in shots on goal in that Chicago game, six shots on goal. You know, that's exactly what you want to see from a guy like him. And, geez, you know, I think that Andy Brickley had said this during the broadcast on sat on Saturday that Felino's playing like he's 28 years old, you know, and looks great, is playing great, is giving you exactly what you thought he was going to give you when, you know, the Bruins signed him last offseason. So, you know, I think it is clear that he wasn't totally healthy last year, you know, and I think he said as much during the offseason, but it's like he's gone out and proved, proven it. He has three goals and seven assists this season. He had two goals and 11 assists all of last year. So, you know, things are looking... Things are looking up for Felino. Things are looking up for Nosek, who I believe is on a five-game point streak, point streak, which is the highest 
uh, point streak that he's ever had in his career. So, you know, things are great with Nosek, AJ Greer. You gotta love his energy. You know, drop the drop the gloves on Thursday night. Um, hang on a second. It's either Thursday night or maybe it was the Vancouver game. Yeah, actually, I think it was the Vancouver game. Um, but either way, you know, he brings fantastic energy to this team, and I think is just a guy that you really honestly had no expectations for um, when when they signed him. You know, you thought, okay, here's another kid who's a high draft pick, you know, was kind of a, I don't want to say disappointment because maybe that's a strong word, but he was a second-round pick in 2015 and hadn't quite really lived up to that. Um, but I think the Bruins giving him a chance and putting him in a position where He's surrounded by so many guys that play the game the right way um, that I think it gives him the ability to kind of be able to be focused on what he's doing. And I think he's another guy, I think, to me, in a long line of kind of good bottom six players the Bruins have always had. You look at guys like Tim Schaller, Riley Nash, you know, Sean Corrali. Some of those guys came in as free agents or some of them, you know, guys that the Bruins signed. But I think... You know, you add A.J. Greer to guys like that where it's like, okay, they come in and they do their job, they do what's expected, and they can be effective players. And I think that that is kind of what the Bruins want to see more of from Trent Frederick. So, you know, you hope that that can continue, but the fourth line's been great. You look at the uh, goal scoring they're getting. They're getting goal scoring from everywhere. You know, Krejci has three goals in his last two games. Jake DeBrusque had a power play goal on Saturday. You know, Pasternak, Marchand, and Bergeron doing their thing. You know, McAvoy's peppering in some assists. I think it's just great that they're getting so many guys involved um, in the offense. So <clears throat> it's a great thing to see. Um, I think, you know, I'd be curious to see during this big stretch of games, are they going to continue um, to get the necessary secondary score. You know, you hope that that's the case, and I think <laughs> it was nice to see that David Pasternak was back with David Krejci on Saturday. Um, I know that Taylor <laughs> Taylor Hall got dropped down to the third line at one point, and Zaka was playing with Krejci and Pasternak, but I think you want to be able to keep Krejci and Pasternak together as much as you can, and I know that Montgomery did play Pasternak with that top line, but I just think you're doing yourself a disservice by playing Pasternak, Marchand, and Bergeron together, that you want to kind of split those guys up to be able to maintain kind of that, you know, secondary scoring, but also kind of maintain that, okay, two dangerous top two lines. So I think that was nice to see. Be curious to see what happens going forward. Uh, Bruins do play tonight against Tampa Bay. Um, down in Florida, so curious to see how they do tonight. And then they also play Florida Wednesday night, and then they're back at the Garden for the Black Friday matinee against Carolina. So games that I'm really looking forward to. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a little bit of nastiness in the uh, Florida and Carolina game specifically as the Bruins are playing Carolina for the first time since that uh, playoff exit last year so. You know, don't be surprised if they mix it up in, in Tampa Bay tonight, too. 
because um, you you know the Tampa Bay is a division opponent. You know they feel like they're kind of still the the top dog in the Eastern Conference and in the division. So to be curious to see how that goes tonight, seven o'clock start on Nesson. So just some other things um, that I thought I'd get to. Jeremy Swayman is back after the knee injury against the Penguins. Came back and played on Saturday. Was not really was not really challenged. Um, in this Saturday game against Chicago. Uh, but he looked pretty good, and I think the Bruins are going to want him to get more games and play more games because as great as Olmark is playing, the rate that he's playing, he's not played at this rate ever in his career. You know, I don't know how many, what the highest number of starts that he's made in a season, but he's kind of on pace for a lot right now. And so I think... You want Swayman to get some more games here. And I know that it seems to be that Olmark has been the established number one, um, considering how well he's played. And, you know, based on Swayman missing games, it makes a lot of sense that he would be your number one guy. But I do think that you don't want to be riding your number one guy as much as, much as possible. You want to be able to get that back up in there and... You know, Swayman's a guy who's capable of being a number one anyway. So I don't really think it's... I don't really think it's a huge issue. You know, if he gets more games, I think just from a workload perspective, you want to be able to kind of even it out a little bit more because, you know, yeah, it was understandable that after Swayman got hurt, you want to continue to play Olmark, but, you know, they threw in Keith Kincaid, and got to be honest, he was probably the best Bruins player in that one game that he played. So, you know, I think the Bruins should be willing to give Olmar kind of some time off. And I also think for Swayman and just his kind of consistency level, you want to give him some games so he's not coming into games cold, you know, not starting four or five games in a row and then having having to come in and play. So hope that he gets one of these games on this Florida trip, uh, whether that's tonight or whether that's Wednesday. I'd be curious to see, but I think... You want to see him get some more games. Um, just some other kind of notes. Anton Strahlman has been getting into some games recently. You know, Jakob Zaborl, I think, Jacob Zaborl, I should say, has not quite responded the way that a lot of us would have thought in the early part of the season. So, you know, Strahlman's getting in there playing on um, Carlo's left side on the third pair, which actually I think has been a pretty solid pair as... The Bruins are perfectly fine with playing Clifton with um, Lindholm and then playing Grizzlick with McAvoy. So, you know, kind of curious to see what goes on with that. Mike Riley is in Providence right now and has played pretty well in some of the games, has had some good highlights. And, you know, I think it's good for him, good for him in terms of a, you know, on a personal side that, you know, he could very easily say to the Bruins, I'm not going to play in Providence, but, you know, credit to him. He's, you know, swallowed his pride. He's been able to go down there in Providence and play. And I think that, to me, kind of tells, it shows a lot to some of the young guys down in Providence that they see a guy who really should be in the NHL, but he's willing to play and, you know, hopefully be a sounding board for some of those guys. So, you know, I continue to wish him well, although I don't know if he'll be continuing to play in the Bruins organization too much longer. You know, I think with 
Derek Forbert on long-term injured reserve. It's kind of <clears throat> as long as he is out, you know, Riley will probably be in the organization. But then once Forbert returns, you know, the Bruins will likely have to do something in terms of moving some salary. And I do think that Mike Riley probably is the most likely guy to get moved because I do think the Bruins could, you know, get a draft pick for him, you know, try to take advantage of that asset um, because I just think at the end of the day, it's a little crowded in Boston when the defense is fully healthy. You know, you have six guys that, you know, really should be playing, and I don't know if Riley is one of them. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see once, you know, Forbert returns and the Bruins do kind of some salary cap, um, gymnastics, whatever you want to call it. But I think, unfortunately, Mike Riley might be the odd man out. So, you know, we'll see what happens. Um, and I think with that, we're going to move on, talk a little bit about the Celtics, who are playing just as well as the Bruins. Uh, the Celtics have won nine straight games with uh, three wins last week against Oklahoma City, Atlanta, and New Orleans. That Oklahoma City game, you know, I was singing their praises all day Tuesday after they had, you know, come back to beat the Thunder and, you know, put up a fight against a really good, young, scrappy team. That's a team that if they get some players, they could be really, really good in two or three years. I do think that... uh, Shai Gilgis Alexander is probably one of the one of the most, if not the most, underrated player in basketball, and he was unbelievable Monday night. And the Celtics were really struggling to stop him. You know, he was making plays all over the court. But the biggest thing for me in that game is the Celtics stuck with it. You know, they had a really, really bad whistle that night. You know, Jason Tatum got probably the worst technical foul I think I've ever seen in my life. Obviously, the NBA did rescind it, so, you know, no point in talking about that further. But the Celtics were not getting a good whistle that night. And I think if you looked, if you, you know, had this team last year, if they played that game, this team last year probably would not have won this game. You know, they probably would have lost by 10 or 12 you know, let the officiating kind of get to their heads and throw them off their game. But credit to the Celtics, man. They they pushed through it, you know, and they played really well in the fourth quarter, made some big shots and, you know, came up with the win. And I think it shows growth and I think it shows some grit in this team that, okay, you know, we're not going to be thrown off our game by something like that. And I think they deserve a lot of credit for coming back and winning that game. Um, you know, it's a big win. It kind of, you know, took a lot as Marcus Smart, I believe, went out with an ankle injury in that game, missed the next two games, but didn't matter. Celtics won both uh, games in Atlanta and New Orleans. Celtics were fairly shorthanded in that Atlanta game. The bench was incredible. Peyton Pritchard was awesome. Hauser, Cornette all had really good games off the bench. Um, and the Celtics really kind of broke Atlanta's spirit in this game. Derek White was amazing. He had 10, 10, 10 assists, I should say. And he's been unbelievable. You know, he has been 
I think other than Jason Tatum playing at the level that he's playing at and Jalen Brown playing well, Derek White's probably been the Celtics' third best player this year. You know, you look at how much more reliable he is shooting threes, how much more comfortable he is in the offense and getting other guys involved to, you know, the 10 assists in Atlanta. The Celtics then had another kind of grinded out game. Jason Tatum did not shoot the ball well in New Orleans, but he had 10 assists. Jalen Brown, 27 points, 10 rebounds. He was good. The Celtics used another, I think, really strong fourth quarter to get another win. So the win streak's at nine. The Celtics are playing with grit. They're playing with toughness. They're playing with great depth, you know, playing at a level that you forget that Rob Williams is not is not playing. You know, they're playing at such a high level from kind of an offensive standpoint. It's pretty remarkable. You know, 10 wins in 12 games, or excuse me, 10 wins in 11 games. The only loss was the uh, loss in Cleveland at the beginning of November. Jalen Brown missed a shot at the buzzer, but, you know, nine straight wins and... A pretty good game tonight against the Bulls in 8 o'clock start in Chicago. Celtics will look to take their win streak to 10 um, as they look to avenge an early season loss in Chicago um, to the Bulls. So I'll be curious to see how they do tonight. Marcus Smart is available and is back. Malcolm Brogdon uh, also returned from a hamstring injury Friday night. You know, didn't shoot the ball particularly well offensively, but you hope that it's just a one-off and he can kind of get get back into, into a rhythm, so both him and Smart back healthy for this game. So looking forward to seeing how the Celtics come out, you know, 13-3. and three. You can't really find too much to complain about with this team. So, um, you know, winning ugly is winning, you know, as I've talked about with the Patriots. You win games, you do whatever's necessary, and I think that that's what matters. Because I think in basketball, Winning games ugly and winning games in different ways, I think, you know, bodes well the rest of the season that you can build off of games like that where you can look and say, okay, we did not play our best 48 minutes, but we still were able to come out with a win. We still were able to make the big plays down the stretch, make the right passes, you know, make shots and, you know, come up with this, come up, come up with stops on the defensive end. So... Everything is clicking for this Celtics team, and yeah, as much as you know, I talked about with the Bruins, they're not going to be playing at this level the entire season. They'll probably lose some games, but I do think that kind of building some character with these wins, you know, are are really important. And this is a road trip, but then you got six straight games at the Garden, so you know, look for the Celtics to kind of continue to play at this level. There are some teams coming in that might be challenging. Celtics play the Mavericks Wednesday night, um, and then they will also host Sacramento and Washington this week. So four games, pretty busy week for the Celtics as they are playing every other day. Um, you know, as I said, Derek White's been awesome. He's been fun to watch, you know, knocking down shots and I think proving to everyone that yes, the Celtics absolutely made the right move when they made the trade. I think that that trade is looking good Every, it's looking better every single day with the way that Derek's playing. And I think the way that he is just so naturally fit with this team, you know, I think that that's one of the things that you not worry about. One of the things that you think about when you make a trade that, okay, how is someone going to fit in? And it's like, 
he has fit in almost immediately. It's kind of amazing, and I think his game has gotten even better, which is exactly what you want to see. That, okay, you trade for a guy, he fits in, but then you want to see him improve. You want to see him continue to develop as a basketball player. You know, and he's continued to develop. You know, little hesitation in his jump shot. He's now making, you know, a higher percentage of threes. You know, he's not afraid to get involved in the offense, and the Celtics clearly trust him. You know, he started some games this season when Marcus Smart has been out, and he's played really, really well. It's almost like Marcus Smart and Derek White are very similar players, you know, but they play with a similar tenacity on the defensive side, but can also make plays on offense, you know, knock down shots when it's necessary, make plays for other guys when it's necessary. So um, he's been a really pleasant, pleasant guy to watch this season. Um, one of the other things that I've noticed um, recently, Danilo Gallinari has been on the be- on the bench with the Celtics team, um, which I think is great. I think it's great to see that he's around the team. You know, obviously really is very unfortunate with the knee injury that he suffered in the summer, but just the fact that he's around the team, wants to be around the guys, um, I think really is good for team morale, you know, clearly team morale is, 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 is at a high when you've won nine in a row, but I think it's just great to see him kind of with the group. You know, I don't expect that there are going to be any updates with him throughout the season. You know, maybe there's an off chance that he could perform, he could play in the playoffs, um, but I wouldn't hold my breath at this point, but just good to see him around, good to see Rob Williams around, and you got to think that Rob Williams is getting pretty close to returning. Um, you know, maybe there's a possibility he could return um, sometime on this big homestand that they have uh, with six games against Dallas, Sacramento, Washington, Charlotte, um, and then Miami twice. So be interesting to see. It's a really wild travel schedule the Celtics have for the next couple of weeks or next month, really. They have a long homestand, a long road trip, and then another long homestand. So it's going to be really, really weird. They're going to be at home forever, then they're going to be away forever, and they'll be back home. So be interesting to see. So uh, Bulls tonight in Chicago, 8 o'clock start. Um, and then Wednesday night, Celtics play at the Garden against Dallas, 7.30. And then Friday night, Celtics will play the Kings at 8 o'clock. Uh, the Bruins are playing at 1 o'clock in the afternoon at the Garden. So I think that's why the start is time is a little later than usual. Um, so they have to change the floor. And then uh, Sunday evening, Celtics will play the Wizards. So busy week for the Seas with four games. Um, so I think that probably is going to do it for... Um, it's probably going to do it for um, the Celtics. Really no... Really no Red Sox news, to be honest. You know, I don't think any free agent news, you know, nothing new. You know, clearly we'll keep you guys updated throughout the offseason. Um, what happens with Xander Bogarts? Can the Red Sox agree to a long-term deal with Devers? Um, you know, do they sign some guys to help, um, help an offense, help their rotation, help their bullpen? So we will keep you updated on that. So I think... Probably going to look at some NBA game, or excuse me, NFL games from yesterday. Uh, it was a pretty interesting week in 
the NFL with the uh, Tennessee Titans opening up the week with a road win in Green Bay. Ryan Tannehill returns 333 yards and two touchdowns. Titans improved to 7-3 with a 27-17 win over the Packers. Packers fall to 4-7 on the year. Uh, Patriots obviously beating the Jets yesterday. The Falcons with a big interception at the end of the game. They beat the Bears 27-24. Bears went down the field, got inside the 10-yard line with a chance to win the game, but the Falcons come up with an interception. They win 27 to 24. The Falcons are five and six, and the Bears fall to three and eight. And the Buffalo Bills, who were displaced after that massive snowstorm in Buffalo, uh, the game was moved to Detroit, where the Bills beat the Browns 31 to 23. Bills took a little bit of time to get going in this game, but they found their groove, um, beat the Browns. Jacoby Brissett had three touchdown passes for Cleveland. Uh, they fall to 3-7. and seven. Bills improved to 7-3. and three. Uh, The Eagles bouncing back from their uh, loss last week with a 17-16 win over the Colts. Jalen Hurts with a game-winning rushing touchdown in the last few minutes. Eagles win 17-16. Eagles improved to 9-1, and one, and the Colts fall to 4-6-1. and one. The Saints... Hold on to beat the Rams 27-20. Andy Dalton, three touchdown passes, including one to Chris Olave. Saints improved to 4-7, and seven, and the LA Rams fall to 3-7. and seven. The Lions, with a road win over the Giants yesterday, 31-18, a big win for Detroit, as Jamal Williams had three rushing touchdowns. DeAndre Swift also had a touchdown. And Daniel Jones, 341 yards. Passing in the loss, 31 to 18, the final. Giants fall to 7 and 3. Lions improved to 4 and 6. A low scoring slugfest in Baltimore. The Ravens outlasted the Panthers 13 to 3. Ravens improved to 7 and 3 with the win. Panthers fall to 3 and 8. The Commanders with another win. They're now over 500. They're 6 and 5 with a 23 to 10 win over the Houston Texans, who uh, dropped their eighth game this season. They're 1-8-1. The Raiders finally getting a huge win, beating the Broncos in overtime. Devontae Adams with the walk-off touchdown. Derek Carr and the Raiders survive. Really had to work hard for this win, so Raiders improve to 3-7. and seven. Broncos fall to 3-7, and seven, and things go from bad to worse in Denver. Uh, the Cowboys obviously just completely obliterating the Vikings yesterday. 40-3, to Tony Pollard, Ezekiel Elliott, both had two touchdowns. Dak Prescott had two touchdown passes, both of them to Pollard. And the Cowboys just run roughshod over the Vikings, who the Patriots will play on Thanksgiving night. The Bengals with a win over the Steelers, 37-30. to Joe Burrow, four touchdown passes. Joe Mixon left the game in the concussion protocol, but the Bengals get the win, improved to six and four, Steelers fall to three and seven. Um, and then last night on Sunday Night Football, the Chiefs with a game-winning touchdown, Travis Kelsey had three receiving touchdowns as the Chiefs win, 30 to 27, Chargers fall to five and five. Chiefs at eight and two, the four teams that had bye weeks this week, the Dolphins, the Seahawks, the Buccaneers, and the Jaguars.
So a Monday night game in Mexico City tonight at 8-15, 49ers and Cardinals meet up. 49ers 5-4, Cardinals 4-6, a pretty massive game for both of these teams in the NFC West. So it'd be interesting to see what goes on there. Probably take a look at the playoff standings here um, as we are in Week 11. Chiefs obviously atop the AFC, followed by the Dolphins, the Titans, and the Ravens, the fellow division leaders, and then the three wildcard teams, the Bills, the Patriots, and the Bengals with the Jets in eighth place. The Bengals have a uh, tiebreaker over the Jets based on head-to-head winning percentage. So Bengals in that last spot, Patriots in the sixth spot, (laughs) you know, just uh, good, good to see them where they are. Uh, the Eagles in first place in the NFC, followed by the Vikings, the Seahawks, and the Buccaneers. And then the wild card teams, Dallas, the Giants, and the 49ers, with Washington and Atlanta breathing down their necks. So it would be interesting to see 49ers, Cardinals. The Cardinals could get back into the playoff chase if they could win this game tonight. So really big implications in this game for both of those teams. So I think we'll probably take a look at some notes from around the NBA. Uh, Kyrie Irving returns from his uh, suspension. You know, I think that I've, um, for the most part, held my tongue on this whole thing. Um, I just, it's, it's the whole thing is disappointing to me. Um, but I kind of don't really want to speak on it much because, you know, most of the things that have been said have been said, and I don't feel like I'm going to add much to this conversation. Um, I just think the whole thing is unfortunate. It's unfortunate that, you know, Kyrie actor did, did what he did, you know, posted the link to that film that had anti-Semitic tropes, and, you know, it just is, the whole thing is disappointing, you know. I think it's incredibly disappointing and he should know better as an athlete and I think he should know better that when you, you know, post or share or do anything on social media, you know, you are in a you are in a way promoting that. You know, whether or not you agree with what's in the movie, I think is irrelevant, but just the fact that you are, you know, sharing this on social media and you know, I just it's just disappointing that he made that decision and then, you know, kind of refused to apologize. And, you know, I think he kind of let this thing spiral out of control. And now were the, was the, you know, punishment, I guess, was it the right thing? Maybe not. You know, who knows? That's kind of the t- thing that I'm having a hard time with because I don't want to say that I kind of don't know what to say in that situation. Um, because he did do something wrong, and I do think that he took a little too long to apologize, that it was like, it was only after there was so much kind of, you know, outlash and things like that that he apologized, that I don't really know if he meant it, to be perfectly honest, and maybe that's wrong, but it's like it just didn't, that whole situation just really unfortunately got out of hand, Um, but I guess, you know, He's back now and he's playing. I really don't want to talk about it much further. Um, the um, trying to look at anything else. Damian Lillard 
with a right leg injury who is expected to be evaluated in uh, one to two weeks. Um, taking a look at some games tonight, obviously Celtics Bulls at 8 o'clock, 7 o'clock. You got Atlanta and Cleveland. That should actually be a pretty good game. Then you have Orlando and Indiana, and then also at 8 o'clock, Portland and Milwaukee. That actually should be a pretty good game. Milwaukee playing pretty well. Portland, probably one of the surprises of the season. Um, Miami and Minnesota at 8 o'clock, and then uh, Golden State and New Orleans at 8 o'clock start on NBA TV. Knicks and Thunder also play at 8, and then 10.30 on NBA TV. The surprising Utah Jazz against the Clippers. So now we're going to take a quick look at the standings. Celtics obviously in the top spot, a game and a half ahead of the Bucks. Then they are followed by the Hawks, the Cavaliers, the Pacers, and the Wizards in the top six. And then in the play-in positions, you have the Raptors, the Sixers, the Nets, and the Knicks. <clears throat> in the West, Utah with the bleed with the top spot, followed by Phoenix, Portland, Denver. Sacramento, who's playing pretty well this season. Celtics will see them on Friday. And then Memphis, so those six teams um, in playoff positions. And then in the play-in, you got the Clippers, the Pelicans, the Mavericks, and the Timberwolves, 7-10. to 10. So some of the teams that have disappointed are the Gate, the Heat, and the, the Heat and the Warriors. Both teams are out of the playoff structure right now. Uh, the Lakers, obviously, are pretty disappointing as well, as is Chicago, who the Celtics will play tonight. So hopefully the Celtics can continue that winning streak. Bulls have lost four straight, and obviously the Celtics have the uh, best current winning streak with nine straight wins. But then that's second, the second highest winning streak. The Kings, who have won six in a row, Celtics again, will play them on Friday night at the Garden. So I think we're going to take a look at some notes from the NHL. Evgeny Malkin played in his... 1,000th game last night for the Penguins. They beat the Blackhawks 5-3. Bruins tying an NHL record with their 11th straight home win on Saturday night. Bruins can go for the record Friday against Carolina. That record tying the uh, Florida Panthers last year. And then I believe there was a Montreal team from the 60s that also tied that record. Um, the New Jersey Devils have won 12 straight games. They beat the Senators on Saturday. Uh, Marion Hosa had his number retired last night for the Chicago Blackhawks, so hats off to him. A pretty remarkable career for him. Um, and then Patrick Laine is on injured reserve for the Blue Jackets with an ankle injury. Um, also, the Bruins are hiring, um, or retaining, I should say, retaining a um, former attorney general to uh, review the vetting process of the Mitchell Miller signing. So, you know, we'll see what happens with that with the Bruins. You know, um, unfortunately, it's a pretty ugly situation, and I don't think, you know, I it's, it's hard to know what's going to come out of that. You know, if they're going to be, if, if people are going to get fired, if multiple people are going to lose their jobs, I think that they should. You know, that's not even up for debate for me personally, but, you know, if that's just another kind of mind-boggling situation where the Bruins put themselves in a position that they absolutely did not need to put them in, put themselves in. So that's just, you know, totally disappointing. But, you know, 
hopefully there's a resolution out of that. You know, no idea how long this, you know, investigation is going to take place, but they've made it clear that, you know, the findings are going to be public. So, you know, you got to think that something's going to happen. So, you know, be curious to see what happens there. You know, as we look at the uh, NHL standings, Bruins obviously atop the Atlantic Division and the Eastern Conference in the entire NHL with 32 points. Uh, Toronto in the second place with 24 points, followed by Tampa Bay with 23. Bruins play the Lightning tonight. It's going to be a pretty good game um, in the Metro. You know, as you've mentioned, the Devils have won 12 straight games. They're atop the Metro with 30 points. Carolina in second with 23 points. And then the Islanders in third with 22. And then in the wild card positions, the Red Wings and the Rangers with Pittsburgh just a point back and Florida two points back. In the Western Conference, Dallas leads the Central with 24 points, and then Colorado second, and Winnipeg third. Both of those teams with 21 points. Uh, Vegas still top in the Pacific with 29 points. Then um, the Kings are second with 24 points, and then Seattle Kraken in third place with 23 points. They've played pretty well this season, 10, 5, and 3, 7-2-1 uh, in their last 10 games. Edmonton and St. Louis in the first two wildcard spots with Calgary, Nashville, and Minnesota all tied in points with St. Louis. So things are a little close in the West right now. And so I think before we let you guys go, I'm going to give you an update on the World Cup uh, the first game was played yesterday with Qatar and um, oh, geez, it was with the other team, Qatar and Ecuador. Ecuador with the win 2-0 yesterday, so they are atop their group. Um, earlier this morning, England uh, crushing Iran 6-1. Team USA plays England on Friday, so um, England off to a really good start, so they're atop the group with a 6-1 win, and then playing right now as we speak, the Netherlands and Senegal are playing in Group A. Team USA obviously plays later today against Wales. You know, me and John Veneziano went pretty in-depth um, on the USA um, and their chances in this World Cup, but first game today, U.S. against Wales should be a good game. Um, you know, you just got to hope that Team USA is focused, you know, and hopefully they can get a goal in the first half, get a goal early, you know, feel, give them something to feel good about. I mean, I think the first games are huge because, you know, you're only guaranteed to play three games and, you know, you kind of want to make sure you start off on the right foot. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how Team USA does. We'll keep you guys updated throughout the World Cup um, each week and see how the teams are doing Team USA. By next week, we'll have played two games. Might have a good idea if they're advancing to the knockout stage or not. Um, so I think I think that's probably going to do it for me this week. You know, looking forward to Guest Friday later this week uh, with Sean Montgomery. Should be fun. Should be an informative conversation about the Bruins. So everyone, enjoy the rest of your week. Enjoy Thanksgiving. Enjoy the time with your friends and family. Um, and we'll uh, talk to you guys on Friday.